0: you're listening to Mood Unfiltered with Tiffany Wicks.
1: What's up guys it's also your boy Richard here coming to you live from our own studios.
0: Yes and so we've got some good content for you today. Richard how are you doing?
1: I'm um, well before this podcast I actually went to my orthodontist and today's my last day tour of my retainers so I'm only wearing them at night times. So Not, I don't have to wear I don't wear my retainer case with me everywhere I go, it's like a show off my teeth all throughout the day.
0: I bet that's a good feeling.
1: It feels good not going to my orthodontist once a month and then them playing with my mouth, yeah. <laughs> doing what they're doing with tools.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of maintenance and just, I mean, like you said, carrying around something has to be attached to you. That's that's a lot of work. So
1: I'm really proud of the way my teeth look versus years before.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. How have you been? I have been good, busy, exhausted, all of the things, um, but on the back end of uh, what was a less than relaxing summer and um, excited for maybe a little bit more time in the fall. So, uh, got some trips planned and some things coming up that I feel like are going to be good rest. I know we've talked about rest a lot on this podcast. And so, um, it's going to be good rest and much needed time away. So, yeah.
1: Thanks.
0: Yeah. So Richard, what do you have for us today? You've got a good one.
1: So previously we kind of looked at case studies. We kind of looked at academic papers that are going on and we kind of like dissected them what's going on in them and I wanted to do something different. So I had an idea like what if instead of like, looking at studies that had been done and published, what if we look at specific disorders where there's still a lot of research needs to be done, still a lot of treatment methods that need to be incorporated, a lot to dissect. And so I think it's a good idea if we discuss not only like specific case studies in the future, but also get into certain disorders so we kind of get a basis, a general understanding about them, get a basis to know, the symptoms, the risk factors, the treatments, and we kind of make our own interpretations about them, if we experience them ourselves, and like what to do about it in the future. So what I got for us today is I actually got thought disorders, which is something that's new to me until I came across it on Healthline.com. And this article was written by Amy Iwazda, I think I pronounced the name right. I know because I looked up how to pronounce the name beforehand <laughs> to make sure I had it right. And so through my own research findings, that thought disorder is considered disorganized thinking. And it could be observed through ways of expressing verbal or body language. And you can kind of see that ex- express, like like I said, verbal body language, whether it's through people's speech, through pronunciation of words, when someone's like nervous, someone's like really twitchy. When you see that those languages kind of express outwardly, it signals more abruptly, like someone's thinking maybe disrupted, just not going on in their head. Maybe don't have a lot of clear indication of what's going on in their own mind. And from what I found is that, thought disorder is closely linked to a good variety of mental disorders, such as mood disorder, bipolar disorder. Depression, anxiety. And from what I found, it's most closely related to schizophrenia. And with schizophrenia, you're not your thinking is not really in line with reality. So you thought disorder could be a byproduct of schizophrenia. And thought disorder could also be a byproduct of these other disorders I talked about before. And there's a lot of different subtypes. There was at least 20, according to this article. I won't get into all of them, just because there's only so much time that Anchor will will let us have, and so much much time in a day. But there's two that seem pretty common, and one of them is distractible speech, where one person is talking about a certain subject in conversation, and you find them having to get off topic, get distracted by internal stimuli, external stimuli, They're not really flowing with the conversation that they're leading or they're involved in. Something I've been guilty of and I'm sure many other people have been guilty of. And depending on where you are on the spectrum of mental disorders, some people may have more patterns of distractible speech more so than others. And another subtype of a thought disorder is something actually called paraphasic error in which some words are more mispronounced just because you're thinking too hard about saying what you're thinking so oftentimes when you're trying to make a sentence and you're thinking about it a little too much you can mispronounce a word that otherwise you might not mispronounce beforehand and so these are some of these are two subtypes that i've kind of experienced to come across and i've seen them other people and one thing I want to note also that I found on the National Institute of is that there's an article published by Mara Hart and Richard Levine that problems and thought process processes is linked to difficulties with psychological and social well-being. So if you wanted to really base this disorder on some kind of clinical basis, the one of the ways you would do it is you would kind of measure how a person is doing psychologically and how they're doing socially and how the way you you look at those metrics kind of give you an idea of if there's any problems in their thought processes whether it's to diagnose for thought disorder or amongst many others because most disorders and the symptoms tend to be comorbid but we'll get to that on a different day and some risk factors that can lead to thought disorder is a large accumulation of stress using mind altering drugs like overdose you know marijuana, edibles, LSD, many other drugs that kind of alter your, your way of thinking that are kind of psychedelic. And of, of course, abusive drugs is always a proponent of disruptive neurological functioning. As another risk factor would also be an autoimmune disorder. And a lot of this, and a lot a lot of autoimmune disorders are hard to prevent and treat because they're always ongoing. There's only so many things you can do, and if not treated properly, can really lead to a lot of brain fog, as I like to call it. And and in addition to these risk factors, some of the ways that clinicians tend to like keep an eye out for symptoms of thought disorder is people could distribute a Warshak test. To kind of interpret patient responses. And in this article, it's like a brief history of Rorschach tests, but it's a good way to measure someone's line of thinking with what they're seeing through these Rorschach tests. There's also something I learned that's actually pretty cool that I just learned that there's a thought disorder index where a clinician asks a patient open ended questions and just, like ex- and based on their answer, it kind of provides the clinician a spectrum of how to base the answer off like on a score of like zero to one. So I think it's like, I think it's like, if you're like, if you're like 0.5, just kind of like depend on your answer. I think the highest score is like a one. I want to look into that a little bit more to so I can kind of describe the accuracy a little bit better, but that's kind of a way to determine the severity of a thought disorder. And the last thing I want to touch on to give a general analysis of dot disorder is some of the common treatments that was alluded in this article is antipsychotic medication and psychotherapy. And before we kind of continue to give our own little interpretation, our own little bare thoughts, I just want to keep the audience in mind that although we are counselors and counselors in training, anything we say is We are not your counselors, we are just giving our own thoughts and opinions. So please consult your own doctor or your own psychiatrist, psychologist on what to do about similar symptoms to thought disorder.
0: Thanks, Richard. I think, you know, this is really interesting because thought disorder is not something that um, a lot of clinicians talk about um, and kind of just, in case consult groups and just being in my own practice uh, we really don't see a lot of thought disorder. I also wonder though if it's because things like the Rorschach test and the thought index and like those assessments have to really be done in order to diagnose them and a lot of those assessments require a licensed psychologist as opposed to a professional counselor. Um, But I think that you know you you touched on this idea that thought disorder is comorbid, and I think that that's so very accurate because there's so many things that could mask the diagnosis of a thought disorder, and which is really sad because there's things that you could do to treat it, right? Like you were talking about psychotherapy, you were talking about antipsychotic medication, but if you're just treating the schizophrenia, you may not c- completely catch the need of the patient to be able to uh, articulate their thoughts correctly or even just throw de- slow down their thought processes um, or come back into reality as opposed to um, just treating the hallucinations and delusions of schizophrenia or just treating the mania and depression of bipolar disorder. Um, and just, just to name a few. I-, I also think it's really interesting because um, – I never thought about thought disorder in terms of bipolar disorder, um, being comorbid with that, or even just being maybe a pre-indicator. But it makes total sense because with mania in particular, you have uh, racing thoughts, right? And you have these, um, maybe not being able to slow down your thoughts um, and not being able to sense make, In those thoughts, um, which was talking kind of about the distractible thoughts that you were mentioning. Um, So, this I feel like this is really interesting, kind of eye opening for me as a clinician to just look at it in terms of like this is an underdiagnosed disorder. And because it's comorbid, I think that it often gets hidden, which indicates that there needs to be a lot more treatment and a lot more probably a lot more clinician knowledge about this this concept because we're probably not doing our clients as a, ser- a service to overlook this.
1: I totally agree. And one thing we touched on earlier is that it takes a trained clinician to properly distribute a Rorschach test. And yeah. it seems like easy to perform. It seems easy to kind of do, but it's definitely a lot more work that goes into a Rorschach test than meets the eye you want to be able to interpret the responses like in a very informed consent matter. So that way you kind of make the best judgment because like, what if you're kind of just make, doing one-offs, like interpretations of the patient's interpretation and You're just, and they say something silly, you kind of just nod it off or laugh it off without looking deeper into their answers. And, and this is such a, like you said before, like a low research kind of, disorder mainly because of that reason like you need trained clinicians to be able to give proper assessments make pro- make proper interpretations make proper clinical notes about what to do and like many other disorders like this field just still growing still new still a lot because like what if people can make more assessments over time the more you learn about thoughts orders, because another thing that this article noted is that there might be some connections to, uh, brain, like brain parts, such as. And I don't want like, I don't want to say any parts of the brain, so I don't want to misin. I don't want to misinform the audience saying like wrong parts of the brain. And they can kind of quote me that. So I, I this is something that definitely worth researching more, and there's definitely some sort of links to brain regions um because for example like the way you talk the way you listen to things the way and there's different parts of the brain that are involved in thinking there's a lot going on and i love neurology just because it's such a broad field to kind of examine and and i feel like it's worth going into more later on because it kind of could provide more answers to why these things happen why do autoimmune disorders have to do with thought disorders How come if you take this psychedelic or this drug, it causes your brain to work like this or function like this? Mm -hmm. There's so much blue ocean research to be made, but something definitely it's worth looking into. I'm sure there's clinicians who are more familiar with this than you and I are. And I'm sure there's so much more room for improvement within diagnosing disorders, making assessments, and making more treatments available for this kind of disorder.
0: Right, absolutely. I think um, also just thinking about thought disorder, you know, uh, that article mentioned uh, about dementia. I'm wondering if people are misdiagnosing um, even just early onset, right, for a thought disorder when it could be something that's different, And so there is, you're right. You're absolutely right. There needs to be more training. There needs to be more information about that. Um, You know, even just thinking, going back to the Rorschach, like it's a licensing issue. So like, I will probably never be trained in a Rorschach, whereas a licensed psychologist will. But does that mean that I I need more specific training on a thought disorder? Because I could be seeing the clients on a weekly basis, whereas a psychologist or psychologist could be diagnosing right and so thinking about like how to work with other professionals how to maybe even if it's not the diagnosis part it's the treatment part and me doing my part to figure out like how to serve these clients best and working through these thoughts um the other thing about the article was that it was talking about cognitive behavioral therapy as a form of counseling um but I also think that that could be really tricky um, because cognitive behavioral therapy talks about like changing thoughts to change behavior. But if somebody is dealing with distractible thoughts, or they're thinking about like even just some of the other um, types of thought disorders where they're not able to form thoughts. Right. I think that can be really hard to articulate to a counselor in order to help them with their cognitive distortions. I think that maybe it's a, it's a, difficult way to, not that it's wrong, but it's a difficult way to start the process of healing. Um, With that said, I'm not sure what the right way is. I I think that challenging those thoughts is important. And I think it could, for some of those thought disorders, not be helpful at all. So it's kind of a catch-22 to figure out what the right formula is, for a client who's dealing with something like this and what type of thought disorder it is. So that, um, again, you know, you can give them the best treatment.
1: Yeah. It's tricky. Cause like, what if they have bipolar disorder and one day they're thinking these kinds of thoughts, the next day, their thoughts on the next day are completely incongruent with the thoughts beforehand. And that's a condition you kind of have to work with that parable. And, those different identities or the different personalities and try and mm-hmm. out what's the best for this client they're there because their answer on the world track test the next day could be different day before
0: yeah, yeah. it's not a question like how
1: many tests do you have to give in order to give the proper assessment of like their condition
0: yeah absolutely <clears throat> tricky. it is very tricky but that That comes back to your point. There's just, there's so much room for growth in this, uh, diagnoses and for this research and for clinicians in the field to really learn about this. Um, I'm actually curious, you know, I kind of want to pitch it to the audience. If there's, uh, if you want to email us or talk to us about this, like, have you seen this as a thought disorder? Maybe you have a thought disorder you've been diagnosed with this. like what's helpful for you or what's helpful for you working with clients. Like this is, um, definitely one of the less common ones i would love to hear from you guys if you have any other thoughts about this um richard what are some of your i guess you know final thoughts or even just kind of thoughts about um this being a a hidden diagnosis
1: it's more of a call to action on more research should be done on different treatments because there's only like two listed and i'm Personally, this is why I said before, like don't take our advice because uh, we're not anyone else's doctors. Personally, I'm not the craziest fan of medication because like like you said, like what if, what if there's multiple comorbidities of anti-evilic disorders? And yeah. what if antipsychotic drugs solves a problem for one condition, but you need another drug that helps with another condition? And now you have these chemicals and these drugs kind of conflicting with one another. And kind of cause a huge assortment of problems. And psychotherapy, psychotherapy is always, you know, it's always a great tool to have for n- mental uh, conditioning to be able to make sure your like, your your thoughts are clear. You're getting feedback from a professional. But you know, psychotherapy can't do so much, and there's so much that goes to the so much that goes on a patient's life beyond therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, there might be socioeconomic factors, there could be health issues, autoimmune disorders. Like, what condition? who's so invested in psychology or psychiatry is going to take time, like, realistically, to want to investigate autoimmune disorders. Now, I'm sure there's some that are familiar with autoimmune disorders. I am leaning towards more, like, in that area, just because I love health and fitness, and I love dieting, I love food choices. I like more holistic choices, and that's just me personally yeah but like i said before don't listen to us only because we're not anyone else's described doctor
0: right absolutely but you know just giving that feedback into the field i think is important to you just like you said a call to action so um thank you so much for those thoughts richard where can we find you
1: so here's what you could do so you could find me on a direct link down below in the description to my website at Studios. In addition, you'll find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram. If you guys want to follow me personally, the links will be in the description down below. Tiffany, where can we find you?
0: You can find me on moodcollab.com. I am the clinical director and owner of Mood Wellness Collaborative. We are a therapy practice in Connecticut that works with millennials, um, millennials in corporate America, all the things that we've kind of been talking about is rest, um, proper diagnoses, um, just getting you well um, in a holistic way. And so, um you can find me there and uh, we are just so glad that you took the time to listen in today. Thank you for being here. Um, again, you can reach out to us in any way, shape or form. And we would just love to know your thoughts on what our podcast is. Richard, you've got something else.
1: Yes. To anyone who's listening, also follow the mood Club page on Instagram. We post a lot of cool stuff there. Our stories are phenomenal. Yes. At least in my opinion. And you always get like a little positive notes throughout the day to keep you going, keep you motivated, and to remind you that we always got your back and we understand where you're coming from. So feel free to engage with us on social media on our Mood Club page on Instagram. The person who's running it is phenomenal.
0: Yes, she's great. Thank you so much for that last tip. So I hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and we will see you next time on Mood Unfiltered.